expand your world and realize every challenge that's ever been brought to me has made me more. I've become more so I can serve more, so I can enjoy more. That's why we're here in this life, to bring more good, more great, to bring insight, to bring strength, to bring action. That's why we're here. Welcome to the Tony Robbins Podcast. You're listening to an episode that is part of a special season on contribution called Force for Good. We're exploring the 10 gifts of life, emotion, drive, growth, joy, gratitude, connection, consciousness, grace, presence, and forgiveness. You'll hear Tony explain each gift and hear stories of true heroes that illustrate how they show up in real life. We hope you enjoy this episode on the power of emotion. As a cancer patient, when I was newly diagnosed in 2003 on Valentine's Day, my goal was to be cured and I live with an incurable disease. And I thought, well, if I'm not cured, I'm not good enough. And so I kept searching and I found incredible tools and I've shared those tools with millions of people. But at the end of the day, if you don't love yourself, if you don't accept even the darkest, deepest, most wounded, sick parts of yourself, it's very hard to heal. What you learn is I think the missing piece, the piece that we don't get from our healthcare system, the piece that we don't even talk about and it's right under our noses, is that ability to change our stories, to rewire our brains, to think about not what's wrong with me, but what's right with me and what can I do. And this thing, this diagnosis doesn't have to define me. And when you change your story, you change your life. The voice you just heard was Chris Carr, the author of Crazy Sexy Cancer, Crazy Sexy Kitchen, and three other best-selling books. We spoke with her while she was at a Tony Robbins event and learned more about her journey as a cancer survivor. You'll hear more from her later on in this podcast. But first, here's Tony on the power of taking control over your emotions so that even an event as devastating as a cancer diagnosis can be turned completely on its head and given a new meaning. What's the most powerful force on earth? I would suggest to you it's human emotion. Now I know that's not what most people think. They think we live in a world that our mind is everything. And how far has your mind gotten you? Your mind can't get you to even enjoy an apple. It immediately goes, is it organic? If you and I are gonna have an extraordinary life, life on our terms, a meaningful life, there's one force we have to master and that's human emotion. And most of us are emotionally unfit. I'm not talking about emotional intelligence, listen, Emotional intelligence is a great set of skills. Learning them can be invaluable in your life. But see, a skill, intelligence is a capacity. A capacity is different than a sense of readiness. You might have the capacity to do something, but you don't do it because you're not in a great state. I would say to you, if you want the quality of life you deserve, not only in the holiday season, but every day of your life, you have to become the master of human emotion. You gotta become emotionally fit. You gotta be able to have things happen that are disappointing or frustrating, and you can discipline your disappointment. You can discipline your frustration. You can put it aside. You can have a level inside of you to know that everything is a gift. That's what the holiday season could actually offer us the opportunity, not just to think about, but to practice. See, when something happens, an external event like losing a job, a tragic event, most people respond not thoughtfully, but emotionally. They let the external event shake them to their core. They feel out of control. And so much of our lives is about how can I be in control? And yet, in reality, we're not in control of a lot of things. Many things that we want to control, especially if you're an overachiever, and most of my audience, if you're listening, that's probably a part of your identity, isn't it? You find a way, you make it happen, except when you don't. 
And those times when you don't make us really freak out because it's not part of our identity, not to be in charge, not to make it happen. Can you relate? But here's the cool thing. We can't control everything, but we can control the most important thing in our lives, what things mean to us. See, meaning equals emotion, and emotion equals your life. So you got a billion dollars. I guess the example is so often because I hear people, oh, I want to win the lottery. Or, you know, I want to build this giant business. We want to have a billion dollars. But if every single day, the emotions that you experience most of are frustration, overwhelm, and stress, then what's the quality of your life? Frustration, overwhelm, and stress. If you have three beautiful children and a husband or wife that loves or adores you, but all day long, most of the time, you focus back on worry. You know, everybody's got an emotional home you come back to worry or anything of that nature, then it's not your relationship or your quality of life is not your kids. It's not your family. It's not your love. It's worry. Where we live emotionally is where we live. And if you and I want to have an extraordinary life, much less an extraordinary holiday season, we got to become the masters of that one force that we can control. What things mean? Is this the end or the beginning? If you think it's the end of a relationship, you're going to behave radically different than if you think it's the beginning of a relationship, won't you? In fact, I often tell people, if you do what you did in the beginning of the relationship, there won't be an end. Because in the beginning, what do people do? It's focused on giving, lighting your partner up. That's what gives you joy. But somewhere between seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven years, seven years, somewhere in there, suddenly you change to measuring what you're getting. And nobody wants to be a horse trader. Love is not about that. It's not a transaction. And yet during the holidays, often out of stress of trying to get everything done, we let time get in the way. I remember I read a study, it was really fascinating, and it was about these men and women that were going to become ministers. They were at Harvard Divinity School, and they came to them and they gave them a task. They told them, you're going to need to give a talk on one of three particular talks. You get to pick why you became a minister, you're going to go to the church and give this talk, or you're going to give a talk on your favorite Bible story, or you'll give a talk on the Good Samaritan story from the Bible. You get to pick which one. And then they had people select them. Then out of each group, they sent them to go give their talk. Now, the question is, which one of these three groups was going to respond to something they pre-planned? They put a person sitting on the steps of the church in front of the front door, writhing in pain, obviously suffering. The question was, which persons would stop and take care of them and which ones would step over their body to go in and give their talk? Was it the person who was ready to give a talk about why they wanted to become a minister, the one who picked their favorite Bible story, or the one that took the Good Samaritan story, which is about helping somebody on the side of the road like this? Which one do you think? Well, whatever answer you're given, since I'm not there with you, it's probably wrong because it had nothing to do with which story it was. There was one more factor. Half the people, half of them in all three groups, whether whichever story they picked, were told you're late. When they were told they're late, 95% of them stepped over the person in pain, even if they're telling the story about the Good Samaritan story, even if they're telling why they became a minister. It doesn't matter. We can let time change the meaning for us. I just want you to think about the one thing you control is meaning and see the absurdity of trying to control the things you can't control. If you can see that, you can be free. You can find humor in the things that were pissing you off or making you stressed or worried or freaked out. I can remember, I've been dumb at this, man. I remember years and years ago, I was a young man, and I built my resort in Fiji. It was a little backpacker's resort, and I spent so many years, time, energy, money, effort, so that I could light people up. And I bring my friends there, and I'll never forget, like, the place is perfect. We've got three miles ocean front. We've got waterfalls. We've got, you know, 525 acres. You know, it's just unbelievable. And I get there with my friends, and it's raining. 
and the tide was out. And I was like so stressed out, like it's raining. It came all this way, it's raining, you know? And I, I had this happen multiple times. And then I'd be like, oh my God, it can't rain. Like as if I can control that. <laughs> Plus that's why it's so green there, right? And then one day after doing this for godly knows how many times, like an idiot, I looked up and saw all my friends standing in the rain, laughing and playing and just having a blast like little kids. I was like, this is all my expectations, all my expectations about how things are supposed to be instead of enjoying what is. Instead of finding the good and whatever is in here in front of us, even if it doesn't seem like good. I go look at the example because I was so dumb. And I, I don't know if you've ever been dumb like me, but my guess is if you're human, you've had dumb moments. And let's have less of them. Let's be kinder to ourselves. Let's get rid of that stress. And how are we going to do that? It's really simple. Whenever I get really stressed, I think somebody's done something. It's unfair. It's unjust. It's whatever. You know, on the surface, I always ask myself, or it's going to destroy that opportunity or keep me from being able to serve somebody or whatever stupid idea get in my head because I've still got a two million year old brain just like you. And that brain is not designed to make you happy. That brain is designed to look for problems to make you survive so you can fight it or flight from it or freeze. That's the survival mechanism in our brain. And everybody's got to know about how sophisticated or smart you are. So what's the solution? One of those solutions is reminding yourself to ask a new question. What else could this mean? Maybe they're not trying to hurt me. Maybe they're just in survival themselves. Maybe this isn't the end of the world. Maybe there's a way to take this situation and turn it into an opportunity. Every great leader I know, every human being I know that has a magnificent life, it's not because everything goes their way. It's not because they don't have problems. I don't know anybody who doesn't have problems, even the ones you think that don't. I, I get the phone calls. I get to know the internal issues of that giant celebrity, that billionaire business person, and find all the problems they got inside. Everybody's got them because of the nature of the human mind. But we can free ourselves by finding an empowering meaning. Just ask yourself, what else could this mean? And find an empowering meaning. And in that moment, you become the master of your life. Listen, master emotion and you master your life. Master meaning and you master your life. Blessings to you on this holiday season. I'll see you next week. Cancer is a terrifying word. It's the second leading cause of death in the U.S. and Europe, and with people living longer, rates are only going to increase. Right now, there are 15 million people in the U.S. living with cancer or in remission, but that's going to go up to 20 million by 2026. Cancer affects everyone. One in four people will be diagnosed with a disease at some point during their lifetimes, and even those who it does not hit directly, they're going to deal with its repercussions as well. We all know someone, a friend, a colleague, a loved one who has struggled with some form of this terrible disease, whether it be lung, breast, colon, skin cancer, or any of the various forms it takes. The good news is that research has progressed us to a point where the death rate from cancer has dropped by 26% since 1991. Nowadays, getting a cancer diagnosis doesn't mean your life must end. In most cases, you can fight, and people do fight. People like Chris Carr. You might recognize her name. She's the best-selling author of Crazy Sexy Cancer and has been a spokesperson and a leader for those living with cancer. Chris was diagnosed with a rare and incurable stage four cancer when she was 31 years old, and she decided against a triple organ transplant. She, like many others have done, decided to seek out treatment that combines traditional Western medicine like chemotherapy and radiation with more holistic treatments like a change in diet, exercise, and meditation techniques. 
And like many others in her position, Chris went on an emotional journey as well. Here she is telling us about some of the shifts she made in herself, both on her own and at Tony Robbins' Date with Destiny, which she attended in 2018. There's so much, and I think what I take away is some of the decisions that I've made and some of the habits that I've created don't serve me, and I have the power to change them by changing my energy and my emotions and mostly the stories that I tell myself. And when you change your story, you change your life. And the interventions that you see, you learn through that person's experience. And we're all going through something. We all have our stuff. But being able to witness a master like Tony take you from one place to that place of transformation and give you the actual tools so that you can keep going, not like, oh, well, it's over, so it's going to wear off. But if you keep working it, you are going to have the life that you want. And you see that hope and that possibility in those folks that he does the interventions with, but you also see what's possible for you. Because I want a stronger relationship with my husband. I want a stronger business so that I can do more of my work in the world. And I really want to feel good, especially as a cancer patient and somebody who's been living with an incurable stage four disease for 15 years. My health is crucial to my ability to serve myself and serve others. So I'd say that while you have the opportunity to have so much transformation in such a welcoming, loving environment, you also have the power to heal your body at the cellular level when you start to do this deeper work. All of the stuff that we go through in life is really something that we can look at as a blessing because there's so many nuggets and there's so much spiritual growth in those so-called struggles. And I think that the greatest relationship you can have with anything in this life is the relationship with yourself. And I'm leaving here more happy to be in my body than sometimes I can be, even though I'm supposedly successful. I'm leaving here feeling a lot more home in myself and feeling that I have just a pretty bright future ahead. You're listening to the Force for Good season of the Tony Robbins podcast. To learn more about the 10 gifts that we're featuring this holiday season, including emotion, drive, growth, joy, gratitude, connection, consciousness, grace, presence, and forgiveness, please visit www.tonyrobbins.com slash gifts, G-I-F-T-S. And to find Tony Robbins products and events that can help you identify your gifts, go to tonyrobbins.com slash shop, S-H-O-P. You just heard from Chris Carr, someone who transcended her circumstances and didn't let her diagnosis define her. And more importantly, didn't allow the way she felt about it define her. Because we're not our feelings. We're not even our thoughts. We're not even our behaviors. Listen as Tony works one-on-one with a man named Andre at one of his events and explains how we can separate from our emotions and thoughts and tap into our higher inner selves. So who would like to share? I'd like to know what's one or two of the most stressful thoughts what do you feel? What does it trigger you to do? And what gets in the way? How would it change it? Let's start right here. Hi, Tony. My name is Andre. I'm from Russia originally, but live in Miami now. So my first stressful thought is my relationship. I'm consistently thinking, can I find someone who I can actually spend my life with and enjoy it? Or will I be alone and just uh, f- multiple women? There's so much heart in that. Could you feel that? <laughs> Glad you showed up. Before you go any further, he thinks this is his thought. Raise your hand if you have thoughts. One of your stressful thoughts is, will I find the right person, or have I right the right person, or did I settle? I want you to notice, Andre thinks this is his thought. 
How long has this thought been around that says, oh my God, what if I don't find the right one? What if all the good ones are gone? What if I'm gay and they're not? What if they're gay and I'm not? What? Who's had those thoughts for how long? Thousands of years, true? So the first step to freeing yourself besides the decision is to anticipate what comes up and to realize it's not you because as long as you think it's you, there's a fight. And you won't win that fight because it's really hard to change yourself. But you don't need to. You just need to change the pattern that you've gotten used to. And the pattern is you're tapping into a, a certain habit of thinking. And it's common. And you fuckers are not common. So why? Listen, if you're going to be stressed... At least find a unique fucking thought. Don't copy everybody else. And so if you have cable and you turn one channel, it's all horror stories. Another, it's all comedy. Another, it's all romance. This is the channel changer, our bodies. That's why even though in this gentle room we're going to meditate and stuff, that's one way to change state. Other ways are radical, strong, physical, verbal, and we need to use them all. The first step is to disassociate it from your identity. Because as long as you think this is your thought, you're what you really am going to do when you start to feel the thought, when I start to feel tension, first thing we know is if we only have tension, I'm feeling some stress. That stress means, hmm, I'm starting to suffer. What's the thought? And I have to look for it. Sometimes I'll ask girl. She goes, I don't know. Goes, okay, take your time. <laughs> and then we'll find what the thought is. And then as soon as I find that thought, I always remind myself, that's not my what? It's not my thought. It's been around thousands of years. That's a common thought. And so I just watch it kind of float by. And then what do I do? I trade my stress for appreciation. You're not gonna go from suffering to joy instantly, it's too big a jump, but you can also go from suffering to something you can appreciate. And the minute you start to appreciate, you're no longer focused on obsessing with yourself. Because all of our suffering is obsessing on ourselves. This is not about her. This is about whether or not you're gonna meet your needs. And there's nothing wrong with meeting our needs, but the problem is when you think about all the time, the mind is never satisfied. It's always worried that you're not going to have enough. It's always looking for what's wrong, and it'll find it. It'll find brown when it's beige. True? You know the metaphor. So what we've got to do is just break the pattern. And it, the more you break it, the more you go, that's not even my thought. Wow, I wonder how long that thought's been around, and getting curious about it, and then shifting to what's something I can appreciate. How many of you right now could think of two or three things you could appreciate in this moment about your life, about where you are, about something? How could you do it right now? Say, I. So what we have to do is discipline ourselves to do it in real time. And one other thing, when we believe a thought, the thought is, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm ever going to find somebody. What it does is it narrows our vision that we just see here. And we don't see like love isn't looking to get. Love just gives of itself. It's just this offering. It just wants to give and to serve. And so when we have that thought and we lock it on the person that we want to get out here, it limits our love of how we relate to each other. And we miss all this beautiful love of just actually really deeply connecting because we think that we're missing something. And the mind always thinks things are missing. It will never not think things are missing. If it doesn't, it'll be for a short moment. He's not noticing all the love that's around him right now. He's focused on one specific thing, a preference he thinks he has. By the way, how many of you had a preference? Like, how many have ever said, I want a relationship? Who's ever thought this? Say, I. Who got a relationship and then said, I don't want a relationship? <laughs> okay, you got what you thought was your preference and you're fucking wrong, right? So what we really need to understand is that what if whatever's in front of us is to be appreciated? What if everything in front of us was to be nourishment? for our hearts, for our souls? What if everything in front of us was a gift? What if even the problem was? 
You know it is. You know when you look back 10, 20 years later, smart people, and you're all smart, we figure out there was a higher purpose in that. What if you just had the F word that all religions agree on? There's only one F word they all agree on, faith. The power of faith. They all know. What is faith versus fear? You've heard me share this before. What's the difference between faith and fear? Pretty important question. Well, first of all, it's a different life. But what's the difference between faith and fear? They're both imagined. No one knows what the future is. So whether you're fearful about it or whether you're excited about it, it's just your imagination. The only difference is fear is imagination undirected. So weeds grow automatically. If you don't direct it, it will show up in the mind. Faith is you decide to be certain. And what that requires is energy. And so when your energy drops, Andre, then you'll start to feel these thoughts popping in because your channel changer is now on the low level. So you're going to end up with horror stories or fears or uncertainties. But what I most importantly want you all to get is this is not his thought. You need to get that. Because as long as you think these are my thoughts, these are my feelings, listen to me. How many of you in this room can remember feeling scared out of your mind about something? Who's ever thought this? How many in this room can remember excited out of your mind about something? How many in this room can remember feeling love or anticipation of love? Great. Who experienced those emotions? The emotions changed, but it's still you. If you go to the mirror and you look in the mirror today, is it the same person you saw 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago? Is the image the same, yes or no? But what's inside is not changed, it's you. You are not your emotions. We live in a world where people are being taught they should trust their feelings. Are you insane? Your feelings will scare the shit out of you at times. Your feelings will make you angry at times. Trust your emotions? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. You need to trust the higher part of you that's more than your emotions. A part of you who can witness your emotions go, look at that crazy emotion I'm having. The more you can witness, the more power you're going to have. The more you think it's you, the less power you have. You'll just be a reactive little creature who you will not be proud of. And we all have those moments, but the moment you catch him is like, wait a second. I've been pissed off before. I've been worried. I've been scared. I've been excited. I've been proud. I've been grateful. I've been all these things. So none of those things are me. I'm something more than those emotions. Are we more than our behaviors? Yes or no? How many have done shit you hope no one will ever find out? <laughs> right? How many have seen other people do shit that? What the is wrong with them, right? We all do things when we get in certain states. People are not their behaviors. Can good people be mean? Yes. Can mean people be nice? Yes. We're not your behaviors. We've all behaved badly. We've all behaved well. Your body isn't, it's not your body. This body's gonna change, but you haven't. You might improve, you might add knowledge or skill or insight or perspective, but the you inside is untouched by all this bullshit. And when you can separate from that, you can start to have freedom. But when you think, I am what I feel, or I am what I think, then you're going to have all kinds of problems. So this week, it's like just catching it, catching it, going, well, wow, what a funny little thought. And then instead of being embarrassed, be awestruck, be curious. Like, isn't that a funny little thought? I wonder how long that's been around. Now, what can I appreciate? What can I enjoy? And the more we do that, it's like a muscle, the better it gets. Welcome to our next story of a woman who was able to step outside of herself to witness her emotions. Emily Garfield has had cancer not once, but twice. The first time when she was just four years old. Listen to what happened when she was struggling with stage 3C ovarian cancer later in life. 
I was trying to talk to my husband back then about my story. And he said, nobody wants to hear your story. No one cares about your story. No one cares that you had cancer and no one cares that your dad committed suicide. And I was just like crushed because that's been my story. So I just figured, okay, this person that's supposed to love me told me no one really wants to hear my story. They're sick of it. I just shoved my feelings down. I became angry. I was resentful. I had hatred. I was bitter. I had shame. Like, what's wrong with me? There's, I must be sick. And I was just literally dying inside. And I eventually went to a women's retreat and they taught me how to start taking my voice back and how to set boundaries. I never knew what boundaries were. And I met an energy healer that helped me through my cancer journey who told me he put his hands on my body and said I was literally so hot, like full of toxic energy that I would probably die of anger before I died of cancer. That was my turning point. And I thought, oh my God, I am allowing people to control me. And that's when I really started to take the power back, but I didn't know how. And that's when I hired coaches and I got this life coaching certification. It literally saved my life while I was dying of cancer. I started to find happiness. In my worst state of being, thought I was dying, I started living for the first time. I started blogging and people were like, how are you so happy? And I was like, I was already dead before I got cancer. This is a gift for me. Cancer is a gift. It is my time to find out who I am. I didn't know who I was. And there is one more thing that really shifted for me was a friend told me to watch the documentary called Joseph Campbell, The Hero's Journey. And I thought, that's my life. I'm in like a movie right now. It was like a nightmare. And there's villains, there's my ex-husband, there's like friends, there's cancer. There's all these things. And I have to just go the path and trust the process. And it was a 12-step process. And I just, every day, every day I got my chemo treatment, I would say, okay, that's one step closer to the finish line. Or if I don't feel good today, like, hey, Emily, you have today. Like, let's get up and go for a walk, even if it's just down the street and back for four minutes get up and move your body because movement is medicine. I teach this. I know this. I had to really shift my mind. And it all started really connecting when I met Tony at the convention. And I had it shifted backwards. I was in story the whole time. My story kept taking over. I'm this little girl that had cancer and no one loves me and no one's ever going to love me. And I couldn't get out of that story. So when Tony said, you got to create the state first, like state of mind, the energy, and that really changed my life. So in my yoga class now, in my coaching, I teach meditation and yoga and exercise before we get into the story. Because if you work with a cancer survivor, the first thing that they go to is, oh, this is my story, cancer. But I want the story to be bigger than cancer. It's really not the cancer that's the story. It's what's going to come from the cancer stories. The Emily I am today is loving. She's compassionate. She's giving. She's caring. She gives back and she's really just a friend. She's a lifeline for people that feel hopeless. And she has a heart of gold that just is vulnerable, very vulnerable. And she wants to just hug everyone and love everyone and forgive everyone. And she wants to help people get rid of their anger and turn it around to find peace and joy, even in the dark times. There's actually a woman who I sponsor through my nonprofit in Nepal. She's 19 with rectal cancer. She has a colon bag. 
She doesn't really speak English, so we just send hearts and loves. And she says, I'm her favorite person in the world. She wakes up every day because I send her messages by Instagram. And she is all alone in this little village. I got her lifetime supplies of Poland bags. That's why I do this. I literally live for helping people. And she says, I give her hope every day. She wants to give up. She also wants to die. There's a lot of women that respond to me by Instagram say they want to kill themselves. Cancer's ruined their life. And I try to teach them that no cancer is a gift. You got to just stay on one more day. And by them following me on Instagram at Cancer Saved My Life and seeing my positivity, it gives them hope to turn around like, hey, like if she did it, I can do it too. That's the new Emily. As you just heard, Emily now uses her energy to help others who are going through similar experiences. With her nonprofit, the Cancer Core Recovery Project, she uses online videos and live video calls to teach movement as medicine. It's her mission to impact the lives of millions of women diagnosed with cancer, those who feel hopeless and isolated, just like she did, and those who don't have access to proper education and healing techniques post-surgery. No matter what's happening around you, I am not these emotions. I am not these behaviors. I'm not even these thoughts. They're not even my thoughts. I'm something much deeper. I'm spirit, I'm soul, I'm heart. The Tony Robbins Podcast is directed by Tony Robbins and produced by the Tony Robbins editorial team with audio editing and sound design by Jeremy Enns. Today's first guest was Chris Carr, best-selling author of Crazy Sexy Cancer. You then heard an intervention Tony did at one of his platinum events in the United Arab Emirates. Finally, you heard from Emily Garfield, founder of Cancer Core Recovery Project. To learn more about Emily's work, visit cancercorerecovery.org.